I'm Harry Drapush, CEO of Amware Logistics, and I'm hosting this segment of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. My guest today is Susan Ryder, President Ryder and Associates. Susan is a logistics consultant that works with companies to improve warehouse operations and overall logistics efficiency through the right strategies and technology. Susan helps operations leaders with operational audits, system selections, and negotiations material handling system selections, and automation initiatives. She's a frequent speaker at logistics industry conferences and is also a certified life coach. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Harry. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great. We're anxious to hear what you have to say, so we're going to jump right into it. You've had a nice career helping companies leverage technology to improve warehouse operations. Could you kind of summarize how you wound up where you are today? It was almost like a stepping stone. The first company I went to work for, it was Unarc Material Handling. So they do storage rack. And my job was to travel across the country and train distributors on how to lay out a warehouse more efficiently. Once you do that, I'm like, I noticed that the main cost in a warehouse was order picking. So I wanted to do an order picking solution. So I went to real-time solutions and did pick the light. At that time, I was educating also because Pick the Light was brand new and no one knew what it was or how it worked. It could actually double minimally productivity and increase efficiency. And then the piece of the puzzle that was missing at that point was software. And so I went to work for Manhattan Associates and did warehouse management systems and helped customers select a solution that fit them and then went to Reprary. And then I decided, why not go into consulting and help people select the right solutions for them? Well, that's great. Okay, now we know the nexus and how you got to where you are. So in the Inboxing Fulfillment podcast, we tend to focus on the challenges of B2C fulfillment, particularly for small and mid-sized companies that are growing. What are the typical problems these e-tailers have come to you with? So often it's throughput and efficiency because they cannot get the budget to build a new facility or to expand the facility. So they have to continue to do what they're doing and double the throughput through there. So they want to know, how do I do that? Because they don't know what they don't know. I mean, they don't know that they ship three fine leather briefcases instead of one because people get three, they don't call and tell them. Oftentimes, it's throughput, productivity, and accuracy. The challenges that come with growing companies are certainly many. We come across that as well. The laws of physics don't stop within the warehouse. It's not a matter of just piling more people in. At some point, you just can't pile them anymore. You have an extensive background in warehouse automation, both the software and the material handling side. What are the biggest mistakes that you see companies make in the area of automation? And what advice would you give them on avoiding these mistakes? There's several things. Don't do automation just because everybody else is doing automation. And the right solution for you is not the right solution for somebody you read about in a magazine. First of all, you don't want to do a solution that the sales guy is recommending to you because the sales guy may not know your business, may not know your projections, may not know all of the information that they need. 
automation is very complex and you want to make sure that you're not tied to a solution that is going to take away all your flexibility and agility. When I was on the design team of Amazon.com, the first thing that we said was we have to have agility. And back then, Jeff Bezos only wanted to do books and videos and CDs. Well, guess what? If we didn't make a flexible solution, all of those facilities would have had to been retrofitted. So that's very important, agility. I'm looking at my warehouse today. We've recently moved to a fair degree of automation. We just implemented robots into our Atlanta facility. It's kind of interesting that the robots do all the walking in a warehouse today, and we leave our people really to do the work and not the walking. And so they wind up doing more time selecting orders, making sure they're accurate, and the robots take those orders. I started in this business some 40 years ago. If you told me there'd be robots in the warehouse, I would have laughed. I would have said, not in my lifetime. Pick to light, we've employed that as well. We've actually seen as much as a 30% improvement in pick efficiency by going to pick to light. Our workforce today is probably 65% Hispanic. So we've gone to voice picking in some of our sites, which is bilingual. You can have the commands in English. You can have the commands in Spanish. It's interactive. We need a response from people, not just telling them what to do, but they actually have to acknowledge that they heard the, res- they heard the command and they do it. And the thing I'm really most excited about, and it's just been integrated, we don't have it live yet, it's going to go live within the next week, is we're going to have our first drone in our Dallas facility. And the drone is going to do cycle counting for us. It's going to do audits on put away. It's going to make sure inventory is where it is. It will be able to help us count. And the beautiful thing about this, we can run it off hours with just the person in the warehouse. So there'll be no interference from any kind of equipment, people. So we're really excited about that. Have you come across any of those robotics and any of your past consultings? Absolutely. Robotics are going to be the thing of the future. A lot of jobs that are not something that everybody wants to do. I call them lumpers in the warehouse. That's not a very nice word, but it's the people taking full box loads and and palletizing them. That job is easily a robotic position because you don't have workman's comp after six months, right? Lifting and twisting those boxes. I do think the drones are going to replace the runners. Do you remember the runners in the warehouse? I get to the pack station and I get ready to pack this order, got the wrong product or don't have enough. And so the drones, instead of having a runner, and we always just named him a runner that would go back to the location and get the right product and bring it back. And everybody's waiting during this time and twiddling their thumbs. I think the drones are going to replace those. Definitely. I would love to see your drone implementation. It's definitely something of the future. We will for sure have something on a website when that goes live. And it's interesting, in addition to cycle counting and doing things like that, orders that might not have been picked accurately have a chance now to get fixed without being too disruptive. And to your point, grabbing someone in the warehouse or actually having the pack individual run over to the racking and try to replace that order or find it. So yes, there's a lot to come on that. As I mentioned earlier, when I started in the industry, Not only wasn't there robots in the warehouse, I go back a little bit to the point before there were actually computers on people's desks. I had a conversation with my kids last week about it. You know, I told them when I came into the industry, we didn't have computers and they were waiting for me to laugh. It was like the mic drop. 
like your kid and dad, right? What do you mean there were no computers? How did you get things done? And we told them the old fashioned way, pencil, paper, calculators, and you really had to be good and careful about what you did. But we couldn't do anywhere near the volumes and the pace that we can do today with all of that new technology. I'd love to hear you talk about the economics of automation investments. There can be capital intensive and then you know, that might have some people put off the decision and then they wait too long to automate. You know, talk generally when your customers say, hey, Susan, should we make these investments? What do you tell them to really look for before they do that? Well, unfortunately, with lead times and automation now, you're out 18 months at least, could be two years. So if you're looking at automating soon and you can't wait till the budget comes, Traditionally, we would say the return on investment was two years because on warehousing and distribution, it's like a list of things by departments and everything in the business. So unfortunately, the warehouse is like number 25 on that list or below, and they don't always get that budget money. So most of the times the CFO is requiring a two-year investment before COVID. That is where we were. What I recommend, if you're looking at automation, you definitely want to break that budget apart. If you're looking at automation and you want to get a consultant to help you or an integrator, it doesn't have to be a consultant, a really knowledgeable integrator, people would put that totally in a package. Well, if you do that, then you don't start the ground running until the budget is approved. And then if you're told, hey, it's a two-year lead time, You could be three and four years before it's implemented. So I would break it apart and say, automation, I want to now discern what is the best fit and do the RFP piece first, maybe this year, next year. But you cannot wait tomorrow and say, okay, we want automation in 2023 because you're not going to get it. Nothing has got a 12-month lead time today, not even storage rate. Yeah, we found the supply chain has been incredibly disrupted. You still hear stories about lockdowns in China because of COVID. Factories get shut down. And we've seen our lead times really, really get to the point where it can be impactful to business. So you've got to have that intermediate plan while you're waiting for anything to come across. Software, right? The warehouse management system, which tells you where it's been and where to put it. And today it's a whole lot more sophisticated. You've seen the evolution in the software industry, you know, from major capital outlays for software and training to SaaS, software as a service. How has that changed things, particularly for small and mid-sized shippers? It's definitely given the mid-sized shippers and the small shippers an opportunity to have a great system at the beginning. Usually when a B2C is starting up, they're like, oh, we'll just buy a very cheap, inexpensive system to get us through our first couple of years, and then we'll go out and look for a system. But with software as a service, you could get a really great state-of-the-art system that's going to see you for the next 10 to 15 years. The other thing is, is that return on investments today on software and for automation after COVID is much different. People are saying four years three to five years, because they can't find the people everywhere I go in every part of the country. 
they cannot find the people. And when a McDonald's is paying $25 an hour down the street, people don't want to work so hard, right? So the automation is not the typical return on investment phase. It's because it's an alternative to find to people. Yeah, spot on. For all the changes and for all the reasons that we're seeing automation, clearly the employee aspect of that is really, really driving it. When I started to work in the 1970s, the expectation was pretty much that you were going to retire for the company you went to work for. If you were looking for a new job every five years and you had 15 years of experience and you left three companies, People wanted to know what the reason was. Why have you left? Why are you job hopping? We're not going to hire you. Today, if people are not leaving jobs every year, right, there's an issue. So to your point, the fact that it's getting expensive, governments are starting to come in and mandate not just pay rates, but they're starting to mandate time off, vacations, health packages. It's getting very, very expensive. And hence, it's making automation look a lot more attractive, a lot better payback, but the payback to your point almost becomes secondary, right? We've got to get the work done. And if we can't find enough people willing to do it, we've got to make the investment regardless of what it costs because we've got to service our customers. That is correct. What do you think the inside of a warehouse is going to look like in 10 years? And you know how should operation leaders start to prepare for that? That's a great question. I think the inside of a warehouse is going to change dramatically. I think there are lots of companies looking at robotic solutions and different packaging, and you're going to see a lot more robotics and warehousing. So how would I prepare as a warehouse manager? I would make sure that I stay current and that is what's going on. And you can do that with a lot of the industry associations. And I would also make sure that I perfect my processes. Because I didn't mention this, but when you look at automation or software, anything that you implement, if you have bad processes and you put these solutions on top of bad processes, It's like lipstick on a pig, right? So as a manager, I would look at my processes and perfect my processes within the warehouse and get ready for the next five to 10 years. That's a good point. We talk about growing companies, right? The name of the game is growing, gain market share, or you're not going to survive. So operational leaders are under tremendous pressure to increase throughput without adding cost, but without adding cost, let's say on a per unit basis, you can't make the ultimate sell price go higher. What would you say to these operational leaders who are under that kind of pressure? I would say break it down. The first thing that I would look at is where my pain points are. Nobody likes to be called at midnight saying, we didn't get the orders out on this shift because the conveyor broke down or five people didn't come into work. So I would break it down from a pain point perspective. And typically, not always, but typically that pain point is order picking. So I would look at how do I change my order picking? Keep it simple if I'm doing it with people. So no matter who is on each shift, 
these special remarks or special instructions that typically are on the first shift, but is not passed down to the second shift and third shift. So they're doing it wrong. That sort of thing I would perfect. I would also have people or people, whether I speak Spanish, and I will tell you, and here in Louisville, Kentucky, there are facilities that have eight and 10 languages being spoke. So they need their signage in Arabic. They need it in Spanish. They need it in multiple different languages. So you need to make sure all your signage, all your instructions. And unfortunately, a lot of the warehouse managers and HR people, they send everything out in English. The packing list is in English. If you're picking from a packing list and it's in English, I know uno, dos, trace, but some of them don't know after five what that is and how many to pick. And that's why your accuracy is so bad. The leadership team and myself were talking about that exact topic about language because many of our supervision management are only English speaking. We've just infused the organization with Hispanic. I'd say probably 25 to 30% now of our leadership team is bilingual, which is important. But you're right, as a kid growing up and going to work, everybody was expected to know English. So I mentioned we were sitting around and one of the ideas came up, well, why don't we just make it mandatory that English is required if you're going to work here? And we looked at each other and said, that would be great. We wouldn't get many applicants anymore. The workforce has changed. The country has changed. Immigration is a big thing in here. And it's a good thing because we need people in here who can work. But yes, they do speak different languages. And while they may or may not learn English, they're still used to their native tongue. And you've got to figure out how to get that communications through so that they can work effectively and efficiently. You're not only a senior supply chain consultant, you're a certified life coach. What's the thing busy operations professionals struggle with the most? Leadership and how to motivate the people. They want to beat them up when they do things wrong. That's the only time they go out on the floor is when there's something going wrong. So they don't really motivate them to want to work hard. It's easy for me to go in for one day and I can sum it up to A players, B players, C players. And I don't have D players. I say need to go home players. But it's easy to see when they're working slow and they really don't care. Many times people say, oh, here comes the manager. What's wrong now? And that's a shame. People will work hard for you if you take care of them. And the leadership to do that is the main thing. Unfortunately, in a lot of facilities, companies promote people to be managers, but they don't give them any tools to be a manager. And so they only know what they know, and they don't know how to motivate. They don't know how to lead the team. You're spot on. I would add to that frontline supervision is probably the most critical supervisory line in the organization because they interface every day with the workforce. And it doesn't matter how good of a company you are. It doesn't matter how good your executive team is. At the end of the day, if I'm working for someone I'm not happy about, who's not effective, who's not professional, it doesn't matter. It's not a good company and it's not a good situation. You're going to wind up with churn and turnover and you'll do a lot of damage until you can figure out what your true issue is. So that's some great advice. Let me ask you this. What do you believe that many others in your field would disagree with you? I believe that before I walk into some facilities, when they ask me to do something, give them a quote to do, I'll say, I want to walk your facility first. 
And they were like, why? We know we want to select a system. I said, hey, I don't know that you're ready for a system. I don't believe in putting software over bad processes. I think you end up with cow paths. I'm from Kentucky. And so a cow never takes a direct route to a barn. It always meanders around. And that's what happens when you put software over bad processes. So I'll walk the facility and say, you're not ready. Maybe 12 months, 18 months after you perfect all these processes, you should get a system, but not until you have those perfected. Yeah. It's hard to disagree with that. So if Susan Ryder today could go back and meet younger Susan Ryder of 20 years ago, what would you tell her? I would tell her I've had some really good clients and some really great opportunities. I would tell her to continue what she's doing, not to worry about what is happening around the other industry experts. I would say, continue what you're doing and continue to speak for the industry. And I was very involved in work. I was on the board close to 10 years and then a CSCMP for six years. And I stay thoroughly involved in the industry. I'm still involved with Parcel Forum. I write articles. Why do I do that? Because I have nothing else to do. That's not true. I do that because I think you have to stay on top of the industry and what is going on. I like to say I keep my pulse on the industry. So I would say that the one thing I didn't do back then when I was very young is I got pulled in to a lot of companies that were very political. And as you know, it's never talked about, Harry. It's kind of a secret, but there are a lot of companies that are highly political. And when you sometimes have the IT guy who doesn't like the operations guy or the operations guy doesn't like the IT guy, I would skirt that issue, but you can't anymore. And that's what I would tell the Susan of yesterday is you need to call that out because in a company, they have to work together. I think I'm going to Just piggyback on a point that you made earlier, which is a very valid point that we tend to promote people into positions and then we kind of leave them alone there. We kind of just throw them in the deep end of the pool and we expect them to know how to do something they've never done before. And you're right. We don't train them for whatever reason it is, not because we're bad people. Everybody's going at 900 miles an hour and you don't think about that, but the consequences are not good. So what are your best sources for learning and where can a person self-educate? I think there are tremendous opportunities with the industry. Most larger cities, there is a CSMP roundtable, which is Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. And then there's a Work Council, which is Warehousing Education Research Council. And I think the people that I have seen and watched and it's been refreshing in the industry They start as supervisors, and now they're vice presidents of distribution for companies. Most of them have gone and continued to educate themselves, not just on what their company's doing, but what others are doing to be creative. One of the things that's happening right now is young people are entering the marketplace. And so these older vice presidents and general managers are having a hard time managing these young people. They don't think the way we do, Harry. They are very different. And uh, a session that I went to 
from a gentleman from the Gap was talking about the young people. They had to change their whole HR policy because these guys would not come to work if they couldn't wear their earbuds. They would not come to work if they couldn't wear their T-shirts. So things had to change within the company to hire that workforce. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. A big benefit today is the information that you can get online. If you were lucky enough to own an Encyclopedia Britannica set when you were a kid, right? You could look things up or you had to go to the library and you really had to hightail it somewhere to figure things out. Today, everything is at your fingers online. You just have to type in what it is you want to know and you get an abundance of information back. The one thing I've learned in my career and the best advice that someone ever told me was no matter what you're asked to do, and keep in mind, everything in life is a step. It's a journey. There's no job that's ultimately the end job. You know, you're asked to do something or take on something. It changes. You do a good job at something and they give you more. You know, the best advice I ever got was whatever you're asked to do, do it better than anybody else. And that's how you make your reputation. And that's how people will come to trust you, give you more responsibility And don't complain. If you're unhappy about what you're doing, it's great. Continue to do it as best you can. And then just look for other opportunities. But at the end of the day, you want it to be a positive experience where you've been, right? You want to make people around you better. And you want to be the person that people come to when they need help, guidance, or whatever it may be, that they trust you. I'm going to go ask Susan what to do here because I know she's going to give me really good advice. Yes. I think if I was starting out today, I would say to young people that this industry is the industry of the future. I mean, B2C is going to be around. It is growing tremendously every year, and it's going to be around for a long time and continue to grow. So if I was starting out in the industry today, I would soak everything up like a sponge. And if I was put in one department, I would not want to know what's going on in the shipping department, the receiving department, the picking department. And even although I'm not working there, I would want to know what's going on there so I could ask questions and grow as a person. And when you do, you move to the next level. And we're speaking with Susan Ryder, president of Ryder and Associates. And Susan, where can people go to find out more about you? I'm on LinkedIn. I don't have a website anymore. I just didn't need one. So I just stopped refreshing it. And I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. LinkedIn is where to go. Susan Ryder for President Ryder Associates. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And I thank you for making the time. Thank you, Harry. It's been a pleasure for me also. 